0: Canaan, it's all about Jesus. It's not about religion, it's about relationships. Where beginners are welcome, where forgiveness is offered. Where hope is alive, and it's okay to not be okay. Well, good morning. It's great to see everyone. Um, If you have your Bible, go ahead and pull it out, and we're going to open up to the book of Philippians, and we've already read this as a congregation, so we're not going to go back and read it again, but we're definitely going to go through it and unpack this great passage um, that Paul lays out, starting in uh, verse 5 of chapter 2, really goes all the way through verse 11, and this has to do with the concept of our, our Christmas series, which is Come Home for Christmas, and kind of what we've been looking at is what what is it about Christmas uh, that that makes us kind of excited and makes us want to decorate and sing carols and buy presents and dress goofy and, you know, all these different things, right? But then for some, why does it like such a sense of dread and, you know, anxiety and almost depression? And what we've talked about is Christmas is that time of year where a lot of things about Christmas reminds us of what should be. What ought to be, you know, and and it actually reminds us of what we are guaranteed in Christ. And so, what we've talked about so far, we've talked about, you know, issues like where where love and forgiveness abound, where there's always plenty, where there's giving of gifts, uh, where things are as they should be. Last week we looked at it's a safe place to rest. All these things about Christmas we kind of look forward to. Well, today, We're talking about belonging. Now, how many of you have ever heard the hymn that that Nathan led us in? Yep, it's an older hymn. I remember singing it as a kid growing up in church. Um, It's one of those that we pulled back out because the message is so great and so perfect with what we're talking about today. Belonging. Belonging is a big deal for us. I remember when I was in the first grade, I was in a, a class that was kind of a hybrid. We had some first graders myself included, we were also brought into a group of second graders, and there were some pretty big boys in the second grade crowd, and so I remember going to school, first grade, you know, I'd just been in kindergarten, I didn't have a lot of school experience under my belt, and so we got to the playground at recess, you know, there's always this guy thing on the playground, like, who's going to be the the king of the playground kind of a deal, right? Well, we first graders, we didn't have a chance, because all these big second graders and so they would bully us, and I remember the bully's name. His name was Kevin. I really want to say his last name because I want you to Google him. I want you to look him up. <laughs> but Kevin was a bully, and you know, he just had his way with a lot of us. And you know, we 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 never could get on the cool monkey bars or swing sets because we were just the lowly first graders. And so we I felt like I didn't belong. I remember going out there like a good few weeks of, of the year. Going out to the playground and dreaded recess. And what first grader dreads recess? You know, that's like the best time of the day. So I was dreading it because I was going to get picked on and we're going to get to do any of the cool stuff. I just go play in the dirt and get my pants dirty and get in trouble when I got home. You know, all that fun stuff, right? Finally, this one day, we had this one second grader named Billy. And Billy was kind of a quiet, kind of a shy kid. He got along with everybody. He was a super outgoing, but for whatever reason, Billy decided that he had had enough of seeing his second grade buddies pick on the first grade buddies. So Kevin started doing his thing. Kevin, I really was <laughs> Kevin started doing his thing, and, then, and then Billy kind of stepped in and says, "Billy, that's enough. These kids—they need to play on the playground too." And so Billy said, "Daniel, come on with me." And so, well, I was excited. I got to go play on the cool monkey bars. Kevin started to say no, but Billy was a big kid. So Billy stood right there in front of Kevin and says, Yeah, I dare you to try to stop Daniel. It's like, I love Billy, right? And so me and my buddy, my first grade buddies, we played on those monkey bars the rest of the year, and Kevin never messed with us because of Billy. You see what happened? To use big words, I'd gotten a mediator that I didn't even plan on. I had someone who stood in the gap on my behalf, right? That I could not have ever mustered up myself. I couldn't. Have, I mean, I tried to stand up to Kevin, but Kevin was a lot bigger than me, and that didn't go well. But Billy was another story. Billy was bigger than Kevin. Kevin wasn't going to mess with Billy, so Billy stood in the gap on our behalf, and because of Billy, I was able to belong on the playground. I was able to belong with the other kids, and what started out as a terrible year ended up being a blast. I loved recess. Everybody love recess with me? It's a great time. Yep. So this thing of belonging is such a big deal. Well, that's what we're looking at today is Christmas time reminds us of a place to belong. We go, we go home and we see mom and or grandma or dad or siblings, and, you know, even if, We're in a situation in life where we don't really belong at work. We have this group of friends we really struggle to belong with. Or we've gone off to college and struggling to make new belongings, that sort of thing. In our mind, we always belong at home. And so, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about belonging today. And here's kind of our our big thought as we unpack this Philippians passage. Because it's really about belonging. Here's what we see. We see that Jesus left... Where he did belong in order to come to a place where it seemed he didn't belong in order that we can belong. So that's kind of what we're tracing through here this morning. So Philippians chapter 2 is is this timeless passage. Uh, Most scholars say it was was an ancient hymn of the early church. And so Paul just kind of quotes the hymn here in Philippians 2 verses 5 through 11. But there's, this hymn is so packed with great truth, with great theology. And as we go through, I want you to notice today, we're going to get a little more technical in some of the language, some of the words used, because I want you to see how precise Scripture is, how precise the language used to define every aspect here we're going to talk about with regards to, to Jesus. So here's what we see. Number one, Jesus, God the Son, forever belonged in heaven. And we talked a few weeks ago and, you know, the great truth that Christmas is not the beginning of Jesus. Jesus has always been. There's never been a time when Jesus was not. He is eternal, past and future. He just simply always is. He is the I am. We see him reveal himself as that. And that's because, first of all, Jesus is God. So here we just jump right in. And here in verse, verse 5, Paul's encouraging the church to have the same mind or attitude um, which is yours in Christ Jesus, and it kind of begins to unpack this attitude. Jesus, verse six, who although he was in the form of God, in the form of God. This word "form" is the Greek word "morphē." We get the word like "morph," um, "transmorph." You know, "morph" means to, uh, a form, but but it's very specific language. This word for form um, could be translated nature or essence. And this word used, there are several different words that can be used for this concept of outward form. But morphe implies that the outward form expresses what is the inner essence. So when it says that he is the form of God, it doesn't simply mean he's got this outer appearance as God. We're going to get to that word here in a minute when it talks about man. What it says is, yes, he has this outward form, but that's just a manifestation of what he truly is within, that he is, in essence, God. That's pretty powerful. So Jesus is God. And because he's eternal, and because he's God, he belonged in heaven. You see, you and I of ourselves. We don't. We're going to get to that. We don't belong there because of our sin, because of how we've rebelled against God, because of our fallen nature and many other reasons. But Jesus belonged there. He was at home on the throne of heaven, so Jesus is God, and secondly, because Jesus has always been with God, so we see this interesting Trinity concept, right? John chapter one: In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and we know here that the Word is talking about Christ, because on down in verse fourteen it says, "In this Word became flesh." And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we see that Jesus was God and He was with God. In fact, we see in Colossians, where Paul attributes to Jesus the creation, that Jesus is the creator. Says he, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things, just say all things with me. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. It's a great passage. Jesus has got control. He is sovereign. He's got all things in his hands. Your life, my life. When things seem out of control, they're not. Because Jesus has got all things. In Him, all things are held together. He holds us together, which is good because sometimes I can't hold myself together. Amen? You ever feel like that? Things are just spinning and crazy. Seems to be a lot at Christmas time. But Jesus, God the Son, forever belonged in heaven as the Creator. But because of His Great love for us, and because of his mission that the father was uh, was sending him on, Jesus voluntarily left home How many of you remember when you left home for the very first time for some of you you probably couldn't wait to get out of there right some of us dreaded it like i I knew my day was coming i I knew that on July 1st, 1990, I had to report at the military academy, and that was a deadline date, so I, I began to dread it because, you know, when you, when you realize you're about to lose something, that's when you really start to appreciate it, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't appreciate home growing up. I just, you know, I just took it for granted. It was home. I thought everybody had a great home with a loving mom and dad and plenty of food and lots to do and, you know, good friends in the neighborhood. I just, hey, that's just, that's just normal life. But as I was drawing near to the time I was supposed to leave all of that, I began to really appreciate what I had and began to dread leaving that comfort, especially when I was going to go off somewhere and I know people are going to be yelling at me all the time. Who wants to do that? So I began to to dread that. Well, Jesus knew exactly what he was getting into. Jesus knew that he was abandoning his throne in heaven, laying it aside to come to earth, where it seemed he did not belong. He seemed not to belong on earth. And there's some reasons for this. First, it's because of his great humility. So it goes on here in your text. Although he was in the form of God, that morphe, outward expression of the inner essence. Verse 6 he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped or held on to or, or clung to. So let's look at this. First, Jesus did not grasp at being God. What do we mean by that? Some other ways this verse is translated. New King James says, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Um, Holman Christian says, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. A New Living Translation says he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. And New Revised Standard says did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. So what does this, what does this phrase mean? <clears throat> well, this means that Jesus, although he was God, he had every right to continue on the throne of God, did not consider that, that he should hold on to that no matter what. So he's willing to lay some of that aside in order to come to this place where it seemed he didn't belong. Have you ever been thrust into a situation where it was obvious you just did not belong? Have you ever traveled to a foreign nation? I remember, I remember going to... Um, Belize for the very first time. I'd never really been out of the country, and I was on my mission trips in 1997. I go on a mission trip to Central America, Belize, and I, I get to the to the airport, and they quickly move me off of the, the regular plane. I get on this little prop plane because I'm going into the jungle down right on the, the border with Honduras and Guatemala on the southern part of Belize. So we, we fly this little puddle jumper plane down there. I get off the plane, and everyone is very different than me, right? I get off the plane, like, I'm the, I'm the white guy, you know, and, and there's like everything else. You have like Aztec, Mayan ancestry, you know, the darker skin. You have, you have those from Jamaica who are the, the, the black. You have, I mean, it's just all these other people and I'm the white guy and I'm speaking like American English. They didn't speak that. And so I just realized I'm in a very different world, right? Um, kind of like Dorothy. I mean, we're, not in, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto, right? So recognize I immediately did not feel like I belonged. I mean, that was kind of a shock to me. If, you, if you've never experienced that, it can be kind of a shock the first time you, you travel on a mission trip or travel ab- abroad. Here comes Jesus, God in the flesh, the one who created everything. And how does he come? Is he born in the, the palace of the Caesar of Rome, the most powerful man in the world, where he will be treated with wealth and dignity and respect? Nope. That's not how Jesus enters this place where it seemed he didn't belong. He enters through a teenage girl who wasn't even supposed to be pregnant yet, who wasn't, hasn't culminated the marriage yet, who was poor. Dad was just a good old hard-working blue-collar carpenter. He wasn't a prince. He wasn't well-educated. He wasn't wealthy. They didn't have a palace. In fact, there was not even room for them in in the local Motel 6 in Bethlehem. He was born in a cave or in a barn. They didn't have a crib for him took straw and put it in a trough, laid God in the flesh in a trough. His audience was not servants and kings. It was shepherds and animals. And a couple years later, wise men. He entered humbly. Great humility. Didn't seem like he belonged. So he he came and didn't grasp at his equality with God. But instead, it says, going reading on, it says, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. So he emptied himself. Jesus made himself nothing. It's some way that some translations read this word emptying means means to pour out so certain things that Jesus poured out of himself in order to be able to come to earth as one of us he you know he emptied himself he poured himself out made himself nothing and what what did he do here um, first it says to belong he had to empty himself of his great glory he set aside a portion of his glory. He still maintains some of his glory, but not all of it. We see these interesting verses. Um, We see that when he returns, sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Well, we know Jesus laid some of that aside to come, Because people could see him. They could approach him. So there was something different there. He had laid aside part of that glory. In John 17, his high priestly prayer, the night before he's crucified, this is what he prays to the Father. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. So here Jesus is remembering back to the fullness of his glory, Prior to him setting some of that aside so that he could come to this place where it seemed like he didn't belong, he remembers that. It was good. It was glorious. It was fantastic. And he, he prays for God to glorify him in that way once again. So Jesus laid some of that aside. Secondly, to belong, he emptied himself of his great wealth. His great wealth, Bible says. Speaks in like 2 Corinthians 8. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus just laid some things aside. You know, he laid aside his omnipresence. Jesus couldn't be everywhere all at the same moment because now he would be confined in human flesh. And no matter how much we would like to, we, we can't teleport. We can't be multiple places at once, right? We can't do these things. Jesus confined himself, he laid those aside voluntarily of his own volition. Letter B. Not only because of his great humility did it seem like he didn't belong here, but also because of his great mission. His great mission. Jesus came on a mission to be the sinless substitute for mankind. It says here, he emptied himself. He made himself of nothing. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form and human appearance, he humbled himself. A lot of words here. Let's just kind of look at these. So here, again, you see the form of a servant. Same same word, form of a servant. Same word as the form of God. The outward manifestation of the inner essence. Jesus is a servant's heart. That's why he left heaven to begin with. I mean, he, he tells us in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that word, form of servant, outward manifestation. But then it says a different word, but he came in the, being born in the likeness of men, likeness. All right, now this is where the Greek language gets very technical, so y'all hang with me here, okay? So the Greek word here for likeness, which shows similarity, is homoiosios. Say that three times fast, right? Homoi. Usias, right? This word always has the concrete sense of a copy rather than the abstract sense of likeness or true correspondence. It emphasizes similarity, same, but not exactly the same, right? Because there's going to be some differences. You know, we see the same term used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Genesis 1.26. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Hebrews 2.17 Says, therefore he had to be made like his brother, similar in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation or atonement for the sins of the people. Isaiah 53, verse 2 shows us this, shows that he became, you know, like us, like in the likeness of mankind. But before we get to Isaiah, so this this precision of language used and the depth of understanding when we talk about God, Jesus is the the morphe, outward expression of the same inner essence as God Paul here teaches that Jesus is similar to mankind but a little different, so how is Jesus a little different from us well he was sinless right amen he was still maintained the fullness of the image of God you see, if we backtrack and we go back to Genesis for you and me, where God says, Let us make man in our image, that's a huge deal. We're image bearers of God, right? But something happened. So in Genesis 1, when God made Adam and Eve, it said he said, made them in the likeness of God, male and female. And then we see Genesis 2, where God promised Adam, verse 17, the day you eat of this fruit, you will truly die. Genesis 3 happens, they eat the fruit. They don't physically die, but they spiritually die in that moment. There's spiritual death that takes place and physical death would follow. But then you get to Genesis 5 and it's very fascinating how you see the verbiage here when it talks about this is after you know Cain kills Abel and so Adam and Eve got to kind of restart the family all over again. And, and so Genesis 5 begins like when Adam was created, he was created in the image of God like him. But now Adam at 130 years old, gives birth to Seth, who's in his own image, and in, in the likeness of Adam. So it's like the author here differentiates how Adam was created in the image of God and now how Seth is born in the image of Adam. Because something has changed, right? Now we know theologically that what changed was Adam spiritually died. He is spiritually dead because of his sin. The fall happened, corrupted him. He still... You know, markings of the image of God, and so we still have those today, but we are not in the image of God the same way Adam was before the fall. That's why we sin. Amen? Are you with me? A lot of theology, I know. We're digging in, we're drilling down a little bit. So, but then comes along Jesus, and that fallen nature is passed, you know, from generation to generation, from through the male. But here we go, here we have when Jesus is born, He's not born of the seed of man. He's born of the Holy Spirit. He's not born spiritually dead. He's born, he's God in the flesh. He's spiritually alive, right? And so there's a difference there. And so here, the, the, just the technical language that Paul uses and pulls from this ancient hymn to go through this really powerful and what would become really some deep theology called Christology, what we believe about Christ, is so helpful and so amazingly precise, very precise. And so he has no sin nature. Now, later on, if you study church history, in the 300s, there was this huge church wide conversation about who, who is Jesus. And they wrestled with this is Jesus God or is Jesus man? And so there's this huge debate and they would write, you know, many, many letters and correspondence. They would come together as a council and, and have these conversations because biblically, he's, you can see he's God and biblically, you can see he's man. Well, it came back to that word that I said earlier, usis," right? Which means similar. He is homoiousis to man. But there's another word. This other word, this guy named Athanasius pulls, he says, uses this to describe how he's like God. And it's not homoousis, just one little I is going to make a difference. It's homoousis, which means of the exact same stuff. So what they said, Jesus is homoousis, similar likeness to man, but he is homoousis, exact same stuff when it comes to to God. Then he goes on, and says, Came as in the appearance of a man. Uh, of human form. Verse, verse 8, and being found in human form, human likeness, appearance as a man. That's a totally different word. Here the Greek word is schema, which is denotes the outward form, but has a little bit more than that, but mostly just looks at the habits, activities, the functions, the modes of a, of a form. And that's what it talks about with Jesus being in the appearance of a man. He had all of those qualities as a man. Isaiah 53, verse 2. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. So Jesus didn't come as, you know, Brad Pitt or some whatever guy that y'all thinks really good looking. I don't, don't keep up with that, but whoever that might be. Um, he came. He, was, he had no stately form. He wasn't like he wasn't like super buff and super ripped. He wasn't. Uh, he wouldn't stand out in the crowd. He he just looked like an average everyday guy, right? That's what he looked like. You wouldn't have seen. You wouldn't have seen him and go, "Oh, that guy. He there's something special about him." Wouldn't be like that, you know? He's not. Overly gorgeous or overly athletic or overly good looking. He was just no stately form. Common. And we see Romans 5.18. This had to be. Because it says, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Talking about with Adam. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Jesus, the second Adam. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners so thanks to Adam we didn't belong so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous because of Jesus we will belong and here he became our substitute 1 Peter 3:18 for Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous Jesus for me that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit. Jesus' mission was to rescue us. He goes on, came in the human form, but he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. That was his mission. He knew that. The Jesus who leaves heaven, confines himself into the infant, knows that this goes to the cross knows that this goes to him being our sacrifice, our propitiation, our atonement. He did that. Eyes wide open. He wasn't hoping for a better way. He wasn't pulling that maybe, maybe things will work out a little differently. He knew this, and yet he came anyway intentionally to be our sacrifice. And number two, his mission to accomplish the will of the Father. Jesus knew this. He, was a, he wanted to glorify the Father, accomplish the mission the Father had for him, doing whatever it took to rescue us according to the will of the Father. Jesus says this in John 6.38. It's a very revealing passage. He says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I'm sure everyone was wondering, well, what is the will of the one who sent you? That's a great question. What was the Father's will? For Jesus, so clear, he says, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing, just say nothing, nothing. I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Who's he talking about there? Who is Jesus not going to lose that the father's given him? Us, it's us. Right? It's those of us who believe and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It is those of us who, because of Jesus, as we're about to get to, we belong. When we belong to Jesus, He doesn't unbelong you. Right? That's totally bad redneck English, you know. Uh, but just go with me. You understand it. He goes on, though. And then he adds to it For this is the will of my Father, that everyone, say everyone, who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Isn't that great news? Jesus had mission, and he came to accomplish that mission for the glory of the Father, and he did all of that. He came to this place where it seemed that he did not belong because he was outright rejected. He was rejected by so, so many. John 5:43: "I have come in my Father's name, but you did not receive me." John, 1:10: He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't even recognize him. How tragic that creation did not recognize her creator. That's horrible kind of like, you know, these undercover boss shows. You ever see those? Kind of fun. Got the owner, the CEO of a company whose picture should be plastered all over the company, right? Everybody should know who the CEO, owner, founder, whatever is. But then you got the CEO, founder, owner who comes like into the, into the the restaurant or the store, whatever, just acts like he's just trying to do a part-time job and he's treated horribly or she's treated horribly, awfully, you know, with no respect and it's just, you're just waiting for the moment of justice, you know. Gosh, that's Jesus. Jesus on a much grander scale. Jesus is the creator. You know, he's the one who was there when David writes in the Psalms, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You were there knitting me together in my mother's womb. How, how tragic is it for us that the one who knitted us together in the womb of our mother, we don't even recognize him. John 1 11 goes on and says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Well, number three in your notes only through Jesus can we belong to him. Only through Jesus can we belong belong to God, belong to Him and as a result, belong to one another. First, because of Jesus, we are justified. We are justified. That word "justified" means to be made right with God, to, to be reconciled to God. We just read John 1:12 as many as who did receive him, those who believe in His name, he gives them the right to become children of God. This is all this justification process. Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God because of our faith, not because of our efforts. Remember, you can't belong to God by trying hard. You can't belong to God by trying to be a good person. You can't belong to God by giving a lot of money to charity. You can't belong to God by starting to do religious things. You don't belong to God just because you go to confession or you do some penance. You know, you don't belong to God just because of something that may have happened to you as a kid, religiously, spiritually. You belong to God for one reason and one reason only. Because there is a moment in time when you place your faith and trust and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ that what he did is for you you cry out to him to save you because you're a sinner. You recognize, like me, that I have no hope of eternal life on my own. I have no hope to be forgiven. I have no merit or clout with God that I can draw from, that I am completely, totally, spiritually bankrupt apart from Jesus Christ. And only by crying out to him for mercy will he rescue me as I place my faith and trust in him. There is no other way. No other way. Jesus himself says that. It's not us being arrogant. This is simply what scripture says. Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because he is the only way. He is the only satisfying substitute. He did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that's to justify us, to reconcile us to God. Secondly, because of Jesus, we have the right to be children of God. That's a strong word, isn't it? right Not, i mean i would it's a privilege I, I believe that i pray that lord it's a privilege to be a part of your kingdom it's a it's a privilege to be part of your family but here john uses stronger words than privilege he says you have the right to be called children of god because you have received christ and when you receive christ you get the right isn't that powerful it seems kind of like presumptuous, doesn't it? It seems like we're, we're being arrogant or egotistical, or, but we're not. It's simply what Scripture teaches us, to have that confidence that I have the right to be a child of God because of faith. I have that right. Again, First John, uh, Gospel of John one twelve. all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Letter C, because of Jesus, we belong in the very throne room of God. This sounds totally blasphemous because we're sinners. Just remind your neighbor of that you just tell them you're a sinner. Just we're sinners. We, it doesn't seem like we should belong in the very throne room of the Creator of the universe, who is holy and just and righteous and pure and majestic. And you know, we read scripture like Isaiah six, where Isaiah gets a vision of the throne room of God, and he describes what he sees. That and here's. This God is unapproachable light, and the very veil of his robe fills the entire temple. We cannot, we cannot even accurately imagine the magnitude, the vastness, the majesty, the glory of God, can we? And we've got some pretty high end imaginations. And we grew up on Disney, so we can picture a lot of stuff, right? Animations, but all of that cannot even come close to encompassing, to articulating, to, to painting the picture, the 3D image of the glory of God in the throne room of God. And yet, we belong in the throne room of God. Hebrews 4 says, Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and grace To help in time of need. That is a command, folks. We're commanded to approach the throne of grace. And if you read the verse before that, it tells us why. It's because of Jesus, our great high priest. Because of Jesus, we have access, entrance, audience to the creator of the universe. God the Father. It's amazing. Letter D, because of Jesus. We belong in heaven. Isn't that good? We belong in heaven. We've had some funerals lately and uh, some great godly people who we love deeply, we miss sorely. But they're, they're with the Lord. They belong. They belong where they are right now. And we will too. Revelation 20. Love this, goes through this pretty scary scene called the Great White Throne Judgment, where you know, Hades, which is the the place of the the deceased that have gone to and, and not had a relationship with Christ, and so Hades releases the dead and all the people throughout all the time come before the throne of Christ. And um I think this is kind of where Paul ties in here. If we pick back up in Philippians two. Because of what Jesus did, God exalts him, bestows on him the name above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. In my own personal theology mind, the way this works, this is all played out right here in Revelation 20. this great white throne judgment. We see every person who's ever lived that's not a believer... We see Hitler, Stalin. We see just myriads of people who blaspheme the name of the Lord throughout all of history. And it says everything in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. We see the demons. We see Satan himself in this line. This is the way I pictured anyway, coming before this throne with king jesus sitting upon the throne in his majesty splendor his power he's not the infant in the manger anymore he's the lion of judah he is the king of all kings he's the creator of the universe and he's on this throne with eyes like fire penetrating into the hearts and souls of mankind reading their thoughts their intentions knowing everything about them before they even know it themselves And they kneel and they say these words, Jesus is Lord. And at this moment, it says, and everyone whose name is not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. But the opposite is true. Everyone whose name is found in the book of life. Is in glory forever. In heaven forever. With Jesus. With God. Because once you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, your name is written. Isn't that awesome? That there is the book. And in the book, your name is written, it's sealed. And you are in the kingdom because you belong. Because of Jesus, we have belonging. We belong. Because we are justified. Because we're children of God. Because we have the right to be in the throne room of God. Because we have been guaranteed that we belong in heaven. We now belong to God and to each other here together. The beauty of the family of God I love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, You are no longer strangers. You're not aliens or foreigners, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So here's the beautiful thing the belonging is not just later, right? The belonging is now. The belonging is now in Christ that you belong. You have the right to approach God in prayer. You don't have to go through someone else. You have that right because you belong. You're in the family. You know, Paul refers to God in Romans chapter 8 as Abba, father, daddy's that term of endearment. Just like your little three-year-old who runs up to you with arms stretched wide saying, Daddy, Daddy, there's no way you're gonna look at that three and say, No, you don't belong in this family, buddy. No way. Come on, right? Not in a million years. You reach down, you pick him up, or her, and you love, you snuggle, you do all these things good dads do and enjoy that moment because that's your child. He, she belongs to you and in your family, in your household. You got presents for them under the tree. Everything you just go overboard to, to do for them because you love them, because they belong. Our Heavenly Father loves you. And when you trust in Christ, you belong. Jesus, Jesus belongs to you. You're supposed to be there, which means by family of God, you're supposed to be here. You belong. And we're all different. Some of you more different than others, right? We're all different we're from different backgrounds. I mean, in this church family, you've got, you got it all. You've got, you got Catholic background, Baptist background, atheistic background, other religious backgrounds. You've got from different parts of the world. You got different political persuasions, different ideologies. How in the world can such a diversity group of people belong together? The power of Jesus, the power of the gospel. We belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to us. Therefore, we belong to each other. John 8, 47. I was asked a question last week in my New Testament class at MOBAB, and I just want to end with this. We were talking about um, how do you know if you're saved? And, of course, most of my classes, not, they're not followers of Jesus. Just, it's a required class. They've got to take it, which is great. <laughs> um, but one of, one of the ladies in the class asked the question and said, well, so if if God's never answered any prayer of mine, does that mean I'm not saved? It's a loaded question, right? I took some time to unpack it because it doesn't necessarily mean that, but it definitely could. But John 8 47, Jesus says this, has to do with belonging. Whoever belongs to God, here's what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. So, Have you ever heard the gospel and understood the gospel? And the gospel is simply the message we just talked about, that Jesus, God the Son, left heaven, come to earth as one of us to live a sinless life that we cannot live in order for him to be able to be the pure, sinless sacrifice on the cross to die the death we deserve to take for us the justice that our sin deserves because God is just he must punish our sin so jesus took that justice for us but in so doing also freed the father now to be able to lavish love and grace and mercy and forgiveness upon us because of Jesus, that on the cross, Jesus, God in the flesh, he died. But we know on the third day, he rose again. Amen. And he's alive. Even at this moment, he's alive. And he summons us to follow him. He sends his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to teach us, to lead us, to convict us, to guide us, to gift us so that we could follow him. And he blessed us with this thing called the church which is not perfect but it is perfectly his idea and it's his bride and it's his people his body to help us all follow Jesus this is all the gospel if you hear this you've never been that moment you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior maybe this is God speaking to you through the gospel that you need to be saved today but if you hear it, it bounces off you don't respond. You continue to just try to be a good person on your own, or you know, do some few religious things, give to charity now and then. But your life is still all about you. Your life's not about Jesus. It's not about God. It's not about loving Him and loving others. Your life's about you, career, money, stuff, relationships. It might be you. The last sentence here. Are you hearing the gospel? Are you hearing? the word of God says. You hear and you can belong. If you don't hear, maybe it's cause you don't belong. So where are you? Where are you in your journey with Jesus? Whose journey was so intense for you. We're called to respond in faith. So I'm going to invite us to stand. We're going to pray. We're going to spend a little time just to uh, it's in a time, a season of response. Uh, where The altar is going to be open. I'm going to pray for you here in a minute. And we're going to open it up for you to respond to whatever the Lord's laying on your heart. We'll talk about that and what that looks like. So let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you have done so much to rescue us. That you left what we can't even imagine as a glorious home. You left heaven. You left heaven's throne. You set aside for a period of time some of your glory, some of your some of your God qualities. Like your omnipresence. We can't even imagine what that was like. Yet you did it for the glory of the Father in order to rescue us because of your love for us. So Lord, thank you. I just pray now that we don't take this for granted, that we don't take what you've done for granted. We don't just count it up as, oh, just another day at church. But Lord, the power of what you've done impacts us right here, right now. Lord, first I pray for anyone who's here who's never trusted in you never surrendered their life to following you God I pray that you would rescue them now that you would save them through the gospel that Lord you would move them just to come and pray with me or one of the other pastors or counselors and just begin to seek you and explore this amazing eternal long relationship with you that we call salvation God I pray for others who might be saved already but but Lord are pretty stagnant in their faith Lord they haven't um, grown much lately they've taken you for granted they've gotten preoccupied with temporary things and Lord they've lost sight of the bigger picture and I pray God that you would just recalibrate their thoughts and their and their passions and their priorities right here today And so Lord maybe some need to just come and pray and seeking you for forgiveness and Restore them to the joy of their relationship with you and to refocus them. God, there may be some marriages here who are kind of struggling, and Lord, maybe you're not the center of their relationship. Maybe they haven't focused their family life on you. They, their family life's all about other things. And God, as a couple, they just want to come and pray and seek your wisdom and guidance in restoring their family to being a completely all out follower of Jesus as a family. Or maybe there's some here who are followers of yours, but they're not, they don't belong to a church. They haven't joined a church family and made the practical steps of belonging. So God, maybe their next step is to begin the process of joining Canaan Baptist Church this morning and plug it in and to this family where they can belong and they can thrive and serve and grow and be a blessing to us. Lord, there's a lot of different applications Maybe there's some who are struggling physically and they just need to be prayed for. Maybe there's some that are struggling relationally. They just need to be prayed for. God, maybe there are some here at this time you reminds them of what ought to be and it's not what they have. And Lord, they're struggling emotionally and they just need to be prayed for. So Lord, this is your time. We just pray you use it for your glory as we respond to you to the promptings of your spirit within us. In Jesus' name.